0: Market rate, £3,000 a
1: day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer.
0: For Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he's been leader, the Conservatives have had the longest
2: attempted coup in Scottish political history.
0: The Steamy, a laudable production for The Scotsman.
2: Hello and welcome to The Steamy, The Scotsman's politics podcast. I'm Alistair Grant, The Scotsman's political editor, and I'm joined today by Rachel Amory, The Scotsman's political correspondent, to discuss all the latest goings-on in Holyrood and across the wider world of Scottish politics. We're recording this on Thursday, just after... First Minister's questions in the Scottish Parliament, which we will come on to and discuss soon. But before that, we've just had the news that Alistair Darling, the former Chancellor, has died at the age of 70. A huge political figure. He was the Chancellor who steered the UK through the 2008 financial crash, served in the Cabinet for 13 years, the Labour governments of Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. He was also the chair, of course, of the Better Together campaign during the 2014 independence referendum i spoke to scottish labor leader anna sarwar just after first minister's questions
0: i'm absolutely devastated and shocked by the news of the passing of alistair darling and my immediate thoughts are with his amazing wife maggie and his beautiful family people will think a lot about alistair's politics and his dedication to public services but nothing surpassed his dedication to his family so my heart goes out to them alistair was a giant of the Labour movement and the Labour family, a titanic force for good and someone who always put public service before himself. He was an extraordinary Secretary of State for Scotland that helped fight poverty and improve public services. He was a fantastic Chancellor that led us through a global financial crisis and he obviously led uh, the Better Together campaign and that constitutional referendum back in 2014, a job he never actually wanted to do but he did it because he believed he was doing his service for Scotland. And throughout that time, he always acted with good humour, with kindness and intelligence. And I think that's why you can see the depth of sorrow people feel now at his passing and the deep affection that people have for him. We will miss him. We will miss him sorely. But I think it's safe to say that his hard work, his dedication to public service, his delivery for Scotland and the wider UK will be remembered
2: for generations to come. Alistair Darling was someone who played a huge role in Scottish and UK politics. I asked Anna Sarwar what he thought his legacy might be.
0: So look, He was an immense uh, mentor and good friend for me like he was for so many others. And I think, you know, in modern day politics, people will think primarily of his role in the referendum campaign, but I'm not sure actually that's the legacy he'd want to be remembered for. I think it's part of that legacy, but actually, such a wider story to tell. He was a fantastic constituency MP in Edinburgh. He was absolutely dedicated to fighting poverty and providing for those less fortunate. He wasn't driven by constitutional politics, he was driven by social politics and social change and lifting people out of poverty and and delivering a strong economy that could back that up. And I think he will be remembered, one, for being such a dedicated public service, second, for that extraordinary delivery for Scotland and the wider UK, as well as that leading role he played in the referendum campaign. And, you know, again, going back to that campaign, People will think about the arguments, people will think about the debates, people will think about the fights, people will think about the heat less, about the light. But throughout all that campaign, he was nothing but full of good humour, decency, kindness and generosity. Not just for those that agreed with him, but also with those that disagreed with him. And I think that says something extraordinary about the man.
2: I also asked Anna Sarwar if he had any favourite personal memories of Alistair Darling.
0: I mean, lots. I mean, I I can't help but smile when people ask about uh, memories with with Alistair because people will think of Alistair as quite a straight-laced kind of uh, individual, quite a serious uh, individual. Uh, But actually he was someone of immensely good humour, dry humour, but really good humour. He wasn't affectionate in the conventional sense but he was a very caring, very loving, very dedicated person to those uh, that he was close to, his friends, his family, his colleagues uh, and he was an extraordinary public servant. And, you know, particular memories. I, I remember the very kind uh, garden parties he hosted uh, for me uh, since I became leader to try and persuade people that there was still life in the Scottish Labour Party and we still had uh, work to do and could do that comeback. I remember going in to see him in the uh, House of Commons when we were trying to persuade him to lead the Better Together campaign and, and him looking at me with absolute horror and saying, um, You know, you could pay me all the money in the world. I still wouldn't know how to set up a Facebook page. I'm not sure I'm the right person for this job. And me gently saying to him, Alison, don't worry, we'll get somebody else to do that. But uh, because he he didn't run towards those kind of rules. That wasn't his nature. He was a very humble uh, man, a, a man who had no ego, a man whose feet were firmly on the ground. And everything he did wasn't because he was searching for a title, wasn't because he was searching for glory, wasn't because he was trying to be some kind of historical figure. He always did what he did because he believed in public service and believed that there was something bigger than himself. And I think you can see why so many people will sorely miss him, why he's being so deeply mourned right now, and why there are so many across the country that have such a deep affection and love for him.
2: So that was Scottish Labour leader Anna Sarwar talking about Alistair Darling, the former Chancellor who has died today at the age of 70. We've had tributes flowing in from across the political spectrum, including from First Minister Hamza Youssef, and I'm sure we'll have full coverage in tomorrow's Scotsman. But just to move on to First Minister's questions in Holyrood today, I think it's probably week three now of Michael Matheson coming up at First Minister's questions. It's certainly it seems like it's been going on for a long time. I think it's been time. more than
3: three weeks. I think.
2: And Rachel, you were obviously you've been in Halsey for the past couple of weeks. So you were in Thailand. I was. Yes. The other side of the world. You were there for two weeks, was it?
3: Yep. Yep. And um, we're still talking about the same thing. So when I left, I think the last podcast I did here was talking about should Michael Matheson resign? He used to explain his expenses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I then went away to all the other side of the world. Switched off my data roaming, <laughs> so I didn't see any news whatsoever while I was gone. Came back and we were still talking about Michael Matheson and should he resign. Particularly this week because there was a poll came out earlier this week which suggests that the majority of Scots agree that he should resign over this. So I think that in particular is sort of fueled the, the the conversation today. The questions this time though went to Shona Robinson because Hamza Yusuf, of course is at COP twenty eight in Dubai. So he'll be much warmer than we are right now in this chilly Scottish weather. But yes, I can't believe that we're still talking about the same thing and it also feels like the story hasn't progressed very much. It is literally the same questions being put forward at FMQs as it was before I went away on holiday.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, on that poll, that was kind of the point that was being made by Douglas Ross, the Scottish Conservative leader, essentially saying that the public have lost, the country has lost confidence in Michael Matheson. We're obviously approaching the winter months of the NHS, hugely difficult time for the health service. We've got waiting lists that seem to be growing all the time. There seems to be a story every single week about any waiting lists. Do you think this has? had any kind of impact on the Scottish government?
3: I think one of the big reasons that people are so sort of annoyed about this one is I think if this was to happen to anybody else and on their, on their work phone, let's just say one of us had gone, let's say I had gone and taken my Scotsman phone to Thailand with me and I had racked up £11,000. You know, we wouldn't just be like, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it. People yeah. would I love in, the idea of yeah. the
2: Scotsman just footing the bill for that I know. <laughs> making the company would collapse
3: um, but I think that's the thing with most people's employers I think everybody else thinks well we wouldn't get away with this we would be in so much trouble we'd we'll lose our jobs over it so I think people are thinking why is it different here and particularly when it comes to taxpayers' money here as well I think it's just one of these things where like people want action taken very quickly and it's not happening um, and I think for previous governments, if you look at Nicola Sturgeon, for example, there was very low tolerance for these sorts of things. And we saw people um, losing their jobs very quickly. One that springs to mind is maybe Catherine Calderwood during the pandemic under Nicola Sturgeon. She yeah. lost her job very, very quickly. All Although, of, that. of course,
2: Sturgeon initially tried to defend course, her and tried course. to kind of move that story away.
3: But if you compare the timeframes.
2: Yeah, yes. it was within a day.
3: <laughs> yes, we're still about, about a month, more than a month now.
2: Yeah, Yeah. well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the story seems to have been going on. I think if there was a hope in the Scottish government that essentially, you know, the public would get bored of this, journalists would get bored of it, and things, the kind of news agenda would just move on, that certainly doesn't seem to be working so far. It seems to be coming up again and again. We also had that poll yesterday which made all the headlines. We actually splashed on a variation of this story in today's Scotsman. So it doesn't seem to be moving on for them. Do Do you think Michael Matheson's position is safe considering Hamza Yusuf has backed him, Hamza Yusuf has stood behind him so far, or do you think there's still a question mark hanging over his future?
3: I think if he stays in his position, it's going to be something that's constantly levelled against him. I think any time he makes a statement, any time something goes wrong with the NHS, that's going to be levelled back at him, saying, like, this is what you're doing while you're in charge of the NHS, which is kind of what Anna Sarwar tried to do to date FMQs. He was sort of trying to bring in this um, expenses scandal while also bringing in the waiting list times and how many people have died while on a waiting list at the NHS. So I think, again, it's just going to be completely overshadowing everything he does if he stays in this position.
2: I mean, obviously a part of this is this kind of narrative that uh, Michael Matheson, We've obviously got the the issue of the £11,000 bill in and of itself, and the kind of process in which that came out, uh, and the fact that he initially tried to get the taxpayer to foot the bill through the Scottish Parliament before changing his mind when he discovered his son's involvement Obviously, he stood up in the parliament, gave a very emotional statement to MSPs. I think you were on holiday when this. I
3: was on holiday, so I missed all of this. Probably
2: one of the most extraordinary. Moments that I can genuinely that I can remember in Scottish politics. He was on the edge. Can you the edge imagine of tears. that
3: conversation though? Like when like his sons had to be like, oh, actually, that was my fault. Can you imagine that conversation having to happen in the in the Matheson household?
2: So there's obviously that whole strain about the what actually happened, and then you've got this kind of linked but separate issue that in the days after finding out about his son's involvement, he misled journalists about it. Uh, you know, I asked him if there was any personal use of his iPad. He said there wasn't, that we now discover was, you know, at best a misleading thing to have said. Do you think there are question marks about, you know, a health secretary going into... I mean, this is kind of what Douglas Ross was trying to get at when he kept on repeatedly asking whether Scottish government ministers always tell the truth. You know, you've got someone, a senior government minister, one of the most important roles in the Scottish Mm -hmm. government, and we're going into such a crucial period for the health service. Do you think there is a problem that people won't take at face value the things he says.
3: Well, I think if you take into the account the past few months for the SNP as well into here, there's been so much controversy around transparency within the SNP and within the government, whether it's financial, whether it's um, through the COVID inquiry, for example, and this is just sort of adding to it. So it feels like we're constantly now talking about transparency issues with, with the SNP and with the government, and this is another case of that. And yeah, I think the public are only going to take so many times of this happening before they do lose the trust here and that's one of the big problems here
2: and from one story that's been rumbling on for what seems like a very long time <laughs> now to another one we've obviously got uh, alex Salmond making the headlines this week essentially saying that he's taking the scottish government to court this is over the kind of aftermath of the sexual harassment allegations that were made against him. the Scot- scottish government investigation into that obviously we then had a separate criminal investigation But moving away from all of that stuff, we had a press conference this morning by his Alaba party. They announced this press conference last night and there was a lot of kind of concern and speculation among journalists. We
3: got very excitable about this. Perhaps we should have been less excitable given it's St Andrew's day today. We should have thought, wait a minute, let's look at the date in the diary. (laughs) And maybe lowered our expectations a little bit. But we did get very excitable and woke up this morning to realise that it's another push for independence. Yeah. Um, we thought maybe there's more defections happening. I mean, there's everyone assumes its, it's
2: defections, don't they? They just yeah. assume that there's going to be more defections. We've obviously had Ash Reagan uh, defecting. Al- Alaba's now got his first MSP because she defected to them. There's all sorts of names that always get mm-hmm. thrown about when we talk about potential defectors to the Alaba party. Although, I, know, I think we, we were both talking about this yesterday, that I can't actually see a lot of them making that move. That's why this was such a kind of knife-edge moment. But you were at the press conference this yes. morning. What was it actually about?
3: So this is it's, it's very complicated and very sort of... It's a lot of process here. But basically, they want to hold a referendum next year. So on the 10th anniversary of the 2014 independence referendum. But this referendum wouldn't necessarily be about independence. It's about, do you think Hollywood's powers should be extended so it can legislate? For independence so it's not quite as straightforward as a second independence referendum it's difficult to see how this could happen first off it's in a year that's not a long time to bring a bill forward to parliament um, we've seen bills that have taken years and years and years so the time frame alone is a bit of a problem but also as well i mean even if the majority of people do agree that the holiday should have that power that doesn't mean it's going to legally get those powers either. So it's, it just seems to be a sort of a legal minefield as to how this is even going to happen. But one thing I thought was quite interesting here is Alex Hammond was saying at the press conference, this was the backup plan in 2014. Had David Cameron not agreed to an independence referendum in 2014, this would have been the backup plan. And it just seems a bit strange. They're saying this is a breath of fresh air. They're saying this is very progressive. But it's a policy that's essentially 10 years old which doesn't really marry up with this idea that it's progressive and a breath of fresh air. Um, I did sort of make that point. I mean, this is 10 years old. Why why are we just sort of resorting back to essentially what's happened, a failed referendum? And Alexan's point there was, well, well, we knew about it. David Cameron knew about it, but the general public didn't know about it. So the, to the general public, it is new, which it's a bit of a cop-out really, isn't it? Because it's still a (laughs) 10-year-old policy, whether people knew about it or not.
2: Yeah, I suppose from their point of view, they're Mm -hmm. trying to move on Mm -hmm. the independence debate. I mean, it does feel like it's completely stale at the moment that we're at a dead end that there's good, no real movement and no real prospect of but the is, second is going referendum. to But
3: is going back to something that's 10 years old going to move it on? I just don't know if it is.
2: Well, I, I think the other problem that Alaba will come across is that for this bill to get anywhere, they need the support of other political parties.
3: Yes, I think they need um, 18, I think. 18 MSPs yeah. need to support this. And I think also they need to be from half of the political parties, which they might get because um, if Alba gets the support of the SNP, and uh, one SNP and one Green, then that's half of the parties. But they need to get 18.
2: Yeah. And also I, I just can't see the Greens I mean the Greens don't even want to share a corridor with mm-hmm. Ash Regan. We've mm-hmm. had that stories about that in the Scotsman, you know, let alone supporting legislation that she's putting forward on behalf of the, the Alaba Party. Just can't see that getting anywhere. Yeah. There's some SNP MSPs who might be intrigued by this, might be willing to give to lend their ear to it, but I can't see the party as a whole supporting it. There's a lot of bad blood between the SNP and Alaba. Obviously Alex mm-hmm. is currently advancing his legal case against the Scottish mm-hmm. Government. And obviously, the unionist parties aren't going to want to go anywhere near this. So it just seems dead in the water, really.
3: It really does. Because we were asking, other journalists were asking in this press conference, I mean, like, who are these people that are going to support it? Have you got some names? Are you speaking to certain individuals? Have you got people pinned out in your mind as to who's going to back this? And they just sort of said, oh, we're confident this is going to be popular. We're sure there's going to be lots of people coming forward to speak to us about this. But they couldn't name any names. They couldn't bring forward any numbers. So... There is every chance that it will come to the end of this Bill's consultation and with no support, there is that chance.
2: And I suppose Alaba will then be able to say, you know, look, we put this proposal forward. The SNP didn't support it. You know, they can't really care about independence in the way that we do. They're not willing to put aside, you know, their own personal feelings about individuals involved in the Alaba party to advance the cause of independence. Do you think that would have any weight? Do you think this is almost a kind of political game playing on it the is a bit
3: because i think i mean we saw when, when neil hanvey and kenny mccaskill when they first moved over to alaba down in westminster and it was immediately said, let's try and make a big sort of scene what can we do here and so i think it's kind of the same thing here we've now got an msp here in hollywood and there needs to be something big done to sort of mark her mark her her um, entry into the party. So i think in a way that's all this is to be honest isn't it it's a here's what we're going to do, and here's, here's that we're not just going to sit back and do nothing. But yeah, it's difficult to see how this is actually going to get anywhere.
2: Well, from Holyrood to Westminster, where our Westminster correspondent, Alexander Brown, has all the latest from London.
1: This week has been surprisingly not feral, given the wild nature of so much of Westminster. But we did enjoy that rare occurrence, an absolute monstering at Prime Minister's Questions. If you're lucky enough not to have generally watched Prime Minister's Questions, it's generally a farce where people pretend it's a debate, really, it's pre-prepared taglines and no real conversation. And often Sir Keir Starmer has a frustrating habit from a Labour perspective of missing open goals. His own MPs get incredibly riled by his failure to assert himself on particular topics this week however given the immigration figures it was an absolute gift for the labor leader this came of course at the same time as rishinak was being criticized for his own by his own mps for cancelling a meeting with the greek prime minister over the elgin marbles because the greek prime minister had said they would like to have the elgin marbles back which if you'd followed politics at all for the past hundred or so years, you would know has always been the case. So offended, so thin skinned, so stroppy about this was Rishi Sunak, he cancelled a meeting, causing his own MPs to lament he was thin skinned, stroppy, weak, and struggling with a diplomacy. It also enabled Sakir Starmer to do something that I think many of us didn't really know was possible. He was actually funny. He uh, compared the Prime Minister to uh, Midas and said, you know, he's had the reverse Midas touch because everything he touches turns to before gesturing towards the Home Secretary who recently got in trouble for calling a constituency a word beginning with S. It's not hilarious. It's not laugh out loud funny, but by parliamentary standards, pretty good patter. I think it's worth noting kind of behind the scenes thing. There's a convention that Tory MPs do not criticise how the leader did at PMQs. This was not the case this week. Uh, Simon Clark, Sir Simon Clark, who admittedly is a Liz Truss ally, tweeted that until the party sorts immigration or you know has a clearer policy platform, they will endure more PMQs like this. So that is a senior backbench Tory MP saying the prime minister has been absolutely bloodied here, and it's partly his own fault. That was a great moment where Sakir was being criticised by the prime minister on immigration and could simply go, immigration figures have tripled under government. Because this is the problem. Richard Sunak is so keen to make everything not his problem, when, again, the Tories have been in power since 2010, so literally everything is their problem. Whether Sakir can continue to be funny or continue to do well at PMQs, I think is probably unlikely, but it was nice for it actually to be interesting, which I don't think it has been for maybe my whole entire life. But for all that and more, stay tuned to Scotsman, and thank you so much for
2: listening. Well, thanks very much, Alex. That's all we've got time for. Thanks very much, Rachel, and tune in again next week for...
3: Probably more Michael Matheson.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm willing to put a bet on the fact that we probably will discuss Michael Matheson. It probably will have come up at First Minister's Questions for, by then, the fourth week in a row. (laughs) But anyway, we'll have to wait and see. Thank you very much for listening.